Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome my friend, Dr. Dan DeWitt, to the podcast. Dr. DeWitt serves as Associate Professor of Applied Theology and Apologetics and Director of the Center for Biblical Apologetics and Public Christianity at Cedarville University. Dan, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. Thank you, Dr. Allen. Good to be with you. Yeah, hey, th- those titles are a mouthful, even trying to uh, to say them all there. So you're, you're a, a man of, uh, of great accomplishment and uh, clearly great significance as well. Well, you know, I need a pretty big business card to fit it all in, so that at least makes me feel important. That, that's right, that's right. Well, hey, listen, before we get into the meat of the conversation today, and just to foreshadow that, uh, we will be talking about preaching in a fallen world, and uh, really connecting some dots, drawing some lines from Dr. DeWitt's recent book, Life in the Wild, uh, Fighting for Faith in a Fallen World, and uh, so drawing some lines, connecting some dots from that book to the uh, responsibility of preaching and a broader ministry of the Word. So I've been looking forward to this conversation for some time. I have known Dan uh, for over a decade, and uh, we've been friends for for over a decade and overlap uh, during years at Louisville, and now I've been at Midwestern now in my seventh year. And uh, and Dan now has been—I guess are you, you're in your third year at Cedarville, is that right? That's right, yeah. Yeah, so before we, yeah, before we get too deep into that, give us an update on the DeWitt family and on uh, what's new at Cedarville these days. You know, we're enjoying the opportunity to talk about apologetics in a liberal arts university where most of the students here are not Bible ministry majors. It's only a small percentage of our students who are ministry majors. But all of our students have a passion to be, either be nurses or engineers or, or whatever, an educator, uh, and use the gospel in their career. So we have loved being in this kind of environment to talk about theology and the gospel so my wife and I have four kids. Um, our oldest are twin boys, Isaiah and Micah. They're 12. We have a third son who is seven and then a daughter who's five. And we have recently um, come into um, becoming a, a pet family. We have a dog named Dorothy, and she's two. And what kind of dog is that? She is a golden retriever lab mix. Oh, wonderful. We have two yellow labs in the Allen, Allen house now. They are, I guess, yeah, over five years old, and they bring us much joy. So is your dog an indoor or outdoor dog? It is an indoor dog, but, man, does the thing shed. It is unbelievable how much hair we vacuum up. Well, ours are outdoor (laughs) dogs, and uh, that's in part why. So anyway, I'm not big on, on shedding animals. So. Our dogs are outdoor, but we sure do love them. They are, man, they are so much fun and just a real source of joy in our family. Hey, listen, uh, again, one other kind of small talk moment here. Tell us about Cedarville. What's new university as a whole? You know, the university um, is we're getting ready to go on winter break. And so I think that's the main thing on everybody's plate. We have a chapel um, on Thursday this week that's called Live at 10. And our students spend weeks putting that together, and it's just literally kind of a sitcom um, experience where we have skits and kind of music. So everybody's main focus now is to get finals over, to have a little bit of fun, and to head back home. And so in terms of the university at large, the Lord's been so kind, as you know, Dr. Allen, to be in Christian higher ed today. And most schools are in decline and are struggling, but to be at a school like Midwestern or Cedarville that the Lord's just providing in amazing ways. It's something that we shouldn't take for granted, and um, I know you don't, and we're certainly enjoying 
Lord's blessings here. Yeah, that's well said. Uh, the average Christian institution, and indeed the average institution in America, uh, is plateaued or declining. And the Lord has been good here these mm-hmm. past few years, and Cedarville is a remarkable story as well. Got to be in chapel there just a couple months ago, and uh, in fact, we yeah. had on campus this past week a few students touring Midwestern Seminary from Cedarville. And so we love the partnership we have there. Thank the world of your president, Thomas White, and uh, the many good things happening there. Well, hey, Dan, uh, listen, tell us again, I I know we're having a lot of uh, front porch talk here, but before we get into the meat of the conversation, one last question. Uh, What's before you by way of writing projects? I'm sure our listeners would love to hear what you're working on and and what the next year uh, looks like it will bring. Yeah, thanks for asking. I'm so excited. Yesterday, I got hot off the presses a book that I just finished that doesn't come out until February 1st, but I got an early copy of it. And the title of that book is Sunny Side Up, The Breakfast Conversation That Can Change Your Life. And it's really, it relates to this preaching theme, as does Life in the Wild. They're both books that have come out of a, an expository sermon that I've preached on different occasions. And so Life in, or Sunny Side Up is basically an exposition of John 21, the breakfast conversation Jesus shared with Peter. And then the other book that um, just went to press is with Robin Holman with B&H, and it's a apologetics storyboard book for little kids. So pretty different ends of the spectrum, but I'm really excited about it. Oh, that's great. Good for you. Well, listen, man, I appreciate your writing, and that's in part why we're having this conversation today. If you have a new book out uh, entitled Life in the Wild, Fighting for Faith in a Fallen World. So tell us about the book. What's your main argument? What are you trying to accomplish? And uh, unpack it for us, and not just as a um, reflection on your work, but but what that means for life and ministry, and indeed uh, preaching, as we'll, we'll get to discuss. Yeah, the, the book came out of several years ago. I was asked to talk to college students. Most of them were students at the University of Louisville in Kentucky, to give a talk on the problem of evil, which, as you know, is the kind of perennial, philosophical, personal challenge that a lot of people have with believing in the goodness of God and a God of goodness. How could God exist when, you know, bad things happen to good people, good things happen to bad people? How do we make sense of that? And as I prepared to have that conversation, you know, I looked over some of the pertinent apologetics arguments, some of the philosophical arguments. I was really just driven back to Scripture to say, if as Christians, we took the, the Bible seriously and really just let Genesis 3 speak for itself. If we read it and said, you know, if this is true, which of course I believe it is, if it's true, what would I expect the world to look like? And so the, the book really came out of me wrestling with the text. I traced seven effects of the fall that I think I can make a case for from the biblical text. And so I I preached that years ago, and when I was asked to give some book ideas, it's always been on my heart, as I think the Bible really describes reality as it is, with all the suffering, and the Bible does even better than give an explanation, it gives a remedy. Hey, Dan, let me stop you for just a moment. We have a brief word of update from Midwestern Seminary. Midwestern Seminary's 81-hour Master of Divinity degree prepares you for ministry today and tomorrow. Midwestern Seminary's flagship degree program is our primary track for ministry preparation. Requiring only 81 credit hours, the MDiv program is an efficient option for students, equipping them to serve the church in pastoral ministry. Residential students will be trained in a unique community environment passionately focused on the local church. Online students can earn the full degree without leaving their current ministry context. 
Come be a part of one of the fastest growing seminaries in North America as we develop a new culture of discipleship devoted to the local church and committed to taking God's unchanging word into a rapidly changing world. Visit mbts.edu slash mdiv today. All right, I'm back in the studio with Dr. Dan DeWitt talking about preaching in a fallen world. So when you talk about a, a fallen world, help us to, to think through here briefly, what are the major signs or, or indications, uh, the major issues that remind us uh, as we minister, as we preach, that the world is indeed fallen? And, and again, not just in the abstract, but but what, 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 which ones, which one of these issues, which issues tend to be floating around the pews every Lord's Day? You know, I, I think when it comes to why does God allow suffering, that often as apologists or academics, we kind of rush in with intellectual arguments. And I think we have to remember that it's a deeply personal question. So earlier last week, I was in. Um, and Alpharetta speaking to evangelism directors at the North American Mission Board, and one dear brother who I believe is from the state of Alaska who's had a, a horrible accident in which he um, had, I believe, third-degree burns over most of his face. And I'm not even sure all the details of the incident, but it's clear that he's survived some great tragedy. And he raised his hand during the Q&A time, and he said, can you tell me why God allows suffering? And my response to him, assuming, you know, he has a Christian worldview, which if he's an evangelism state director, I think is a relatively safe assumption that he's operating from within a Christian worldview. And my answer was, your, your answer to that question, coming from you and your life story, could probably have a greater impact than mine could. Because people like to, to hear someone reasoning with these things from Scripture, but someone who's actually suffered themselves. And so I think as preachers, what we have to do is remember that people aren't always waiting for our intellectual arguments, but they're waiting for us to apply the truth of Scripture in a way that does touch on their felt need. I don't want to make the felt need their beginning place for preaching, but I don't want to ignore it either. Yeah, that's that's well stated. And look, we have to remind ourselves as we preach, as we minister, so many of these of these issues, these challenges, these marks of a fallen world, uh, th- those are indeed acutely personal. As you just said, as it comes to as it relates to you know, questioning the existence of God or practical atheism, what what have you, it really gets down to that person's experience, that person's life story, that person's uh, in, inner narrative, and how it's unfolded, and the challenges that are there. And so, you know, I'm mindful that even here institutionally, in recent uh, months, we've announced a transition or a counseling program, and uh, that's a whole other story there, a whole other conversation. I won't, I won't uh, digress into, but but we're moving to a, a biblical counseling model as it relates to our counseling program here, and a host of mm-hmm. factors contribute to that. But but that's where we're going, and so we're excited about that. But as we were thinking through over a period of months and discussing the wisdom of this move the need for this move, I, I realized and knew that when you when you deal with a topic like counseling, Christian counseling, secular counseling, and an, an integrationist approach, a biblical counseling model, it's never just a conversation about the abstract as to as to what in a in a kind of sterile world is the best approach to to adopt. But rather than we have this conversation with people, you're talking real people who have real needs, and they have loved ones who are on medication, they have loved ones who have mental challenges, loved ones who have spiritual, emotional challenges. And so everyone uh, quickly moves from what does this 
conversation look like? What does this decision look like in the abstract? But what are you therefore saying about like my wife who's on medication or or my granddaughter who's mm-hmm. on medication? So my point is, in a fallen world, we have to be careful not to just think in the in the in the generic about well we're in a fallen world, so there is suffering, so there mm-hmm. is injustice, so there are inequities. But we have to think in our preaching and in our apologetics and in our ministry about real people in our lives and our churches who are dealing with those real issues. And as much as we can think about that in a more personal way, the fallenness of this world in a more personal way, uh, the better we'll be positioned to, to speak to it. Do you agree? I absolutely agree. And, you, and the Bible models this for us. You know, if we if we're preaching in a similar way that the biblical story is situated, you know, the Bible is not just a list of propositions, but it's these embodied stories. Of course, they're true stories, but, you know, I think of the fact that, you know, the oldest book in the Old Testament is not the book of Genesis, it's the book of Job, a man who lost everything. And you look at the Psalms, how many of the Psalms are Psalms of the Lord man. And so the Bible, it really models for us what it looks like to fight for faith, in a fallen world, which, of course, I said that somewhat tongue-in-cheek, because I believe at the end of our lives we'll realize that it's actually faith um, that's been fighting for us all along. So, Dan, when it comes to preaching and preaching in a fallen world, help us to think through how should that reality, again, not just in the abstract, but real people with these real challenges, with these real questions, with these, these real trials, how should that impact our preaching? Well, I think we should recognize, you know, you look at Genesis 3, and you see all the things that begin unraveling from one theologian said it well, you know, we're separated from God, we're separated from each other, we're separated from the land, and we're even separated from ourselves. You know, we have this broken relationship between body and soul now. And so I think that we have to realize that people are not just kind of passive observers who are listening to this sermon. Um, but we're all in this story of creation, fall, redemption, glorification together. And so I think we have to recognize that our, our fallen flesh is going to um, balk at the idea that there's a moral authority. Even the best of us, we have some small corner of our heart that we like to kind of keep reserved, whether it's attitudes or actions that we kind of like to keep under lock and key. And so I think we have to remember as we're preaching that even the sweetest person who's amending what we say, that there's someone who's there's a real war with inside their soul against these very truths. So I, I want to keep that in mind on the one hand. And then on the other hand, too, I, I want to make sure that they realize that in Scripture, the uh, the ultimate goal is not just to affirm a list of propositions, but that the ultimate, the ultimate goal is always in the midst of whatever we're dealing with, to praise God, to trust God. And so my, our preaching needs to account for that. How can this be lived out? And again, the Bible gives us the best illustrations and examples because it's filled with stories of people who struggle to trust God in the midst of all kinds of circumstances. You know, Dan, a couple of years ago, I found myself in uh, the Denver, Colorado area, and I was preaching that night, and I had about four hours uh, of time between uh, when I was. It was just after lunch and before I had to be at uh, the church, the conference setting where I was going to preach. I had about four hours went to a restaurant, and I was just going to spend several hours kind of reviewing my sermon and thinking through it and so forth. And I went to the restaurant, and the, the waiter who seated me, I, I told him, I said, I'm going to be here actually a few hours. I'm not going to order much, but I promise I'm going to tip you very generously for uh, for being kind to me for three or four hours here. 
And so in the course of three or four hours, the waiter will come by every 20, 30 minutes and refresh my coffee, what have you. And I develop a a dialogue with with that waiter. And uh, here was a general sense of of, of who that young man was. He was in his mid-20s. He he, he was evidently uh, living a homosexual lifestyle, I say evidently, because we had different brief conversations during the four hours. And he said enough for me to responsibly conclude that. Uh, And I began to talk about the gospel some. And, uh, and about mm-hmm. what I was doing, why I was preparing a sermon, what is a sermon, what do I preach from, the Bible. And I remember that moment as I was talking to him, I realized, here is the, the task of the minister in the 21st century. He told me he was, had never been to church before, grew up in a, in a broken home, my, my, my word, not his, but parents were divorced. Mm-hmm. So you're ta- talking to a young man who's in his mid-20s, uh, living homosexual lifestyle, Broken home background, um, never been to church. So not just had he not been in a pro-Christian context, but 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 evidently a pretty thoroughly secular context, uh, and all that goes with that. Perhaps years of pornography, no clear sense of biblical convictions or biblical norms. Just so much complexity and hurt and damage wrapped into that that narrative. And I remember thinking, you know, just again in that moment, how revolutionary the Christian gospel is. That that for this young man to embrace Christ would bring with it massive change, uh, a massive lifestyle change. And I don't mean that in the sense of you know from from libertinism to fundamentalism. But I mean that from death to life, that the Spirit would come to live within him and begin to crave the things of God and desire the things of God, and all that change that would bring. And it reminded me of that moment of just the task of the 21st century evangelist, the 21st century preacher, indeed the 21st century uh, apologist. And so, you know, that type of individual intersects our ministries weekly and our churches Sunday after Sunday. So with that in mind, as we preach, as we speak, it goes back to the Word and the Spirit, the Word and the Spirit. How effective are those instruments? How confident should the minister be in the Word and the Spirit to work? You know, all of our confidence is there. And there's a recent conversation, as you know, um, in apologetics where people are wanting to shift the foundation of our um, argument, the foundation of our confidence, the historical evidences. So much so that one apologist recently said that if you make the Bible the foundation of your faith, that's idolatry. But what we need to do is kind of get the historical evidences for the resurrection. And once we establish that, then the resurrection as an event is the foundation for our faith. Well, the problem with that is that, you know, events are not self-interpreting. So as people look at these these data points, I, I could give you a long list of atheist scholars who concede historical evidences for the resurrection and still conclude that there is no God. And so um, if we make the foundation of our faith anything other than the, the Word of God, what God's revealed about Himself, and His Spirit opening eyes to that reality, I, we're in for a lot of trouble. And so... I think what we have to do is, in all of our preaching, say there's a good God who made the world. He's revealed himself to us in Scripture. Um, Here's how we can know him. Here's how the gospel makes that possible. And I always want to begin and end with that simple um, gospel presentation, and not because I'm getting paid anything from the North American Mission Board, but I think there are three circles of evangelism strategy. It's so helpful to say God has a design, we've all fallen from it in different ways, and the way back to flourishing is to repent, 
and receive God's grace through the gospel, which allows us to begin re-pursuing God's design. That's our only confidence. It's that or nothing. So, Dan, on this podcast, you're talking primarily to ministers, pastors, seminary students, those who are or likely will soon be engaging in a ministry of the Word. To pull this together, um, to pull the conversation together, can you give some final just words of encouragement to such ministers, to such pastors, to such seminary students who, who, who are about to embark on a, on a ministry, often a ministry of preaching, a ministry of preaching mm-hmm. in a fallen world? What would be some final word of encu- words of encouragement? Well, I would say um, you're, it's very easy to remain completely orthodox if you don't deal with people because your orthodoxy will never be challenged. Um, Once you actually encounter real people and you sit next to a woman who's lost her husband or a husband who's, or a father who's lost a child, that's, it's at these points where someone who's struggling with same sex attraction or any number of things, that's when your, your orthodoxy is going to be challenged. Are you going to waver or not? But the truth is, that that challenge is worth it. You need to be with people, to know people, um, to recognize your own struggles as well. So I would say hold fast to Scripture and love people really well. And in the midst of that, there are going to be points at which you're tempted to compromise. You know, if I compromise here, it'll make this person feel more comfortable with me. Or maybe if I don't make a major deal of this biblical doctrine, they'll be more prone to come to my church. And I would say, look, know people, love people. That's where the temptation is going to Come, that's where the rubber's going to hit the road. Hold fast to Scripture and, and love people. And I think that those are the two basic driving motivators in, in ministry. Well said. Dan, thank you for joining me on Preaching and Preachers, and thank you for your book, Life in the Wild, Fighting for Faith in a Fallen World. I presume that's available in Christian bookstores and uh, online through Amazon and, and uh, various other places. Dan, thank you for being on Preaching and Preachers. Thank you, sir. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.